Welcome to the Global Sport Matters podcast. I'm Scott Brooks, director of the Global Sport Institute, and we're sitting down with Karen Given for our September podcast entitled What's in the Water? Trauma-Informed Coaching. Karen, tell us a little bit about what this episode is, is all about. Yeah, I mean, this episode is all about, as it says, trauma-informed coaching. But personally, when I think of that, I usually think of things like all the sports things that have nothing to do with what's on the field, right? Like doing the right thing for the kids and making them feel well-supported and loved and encouraged and all those sorts of things. And um, this podcast is about that, but it's also about how doing all those things can really help you, your team perform better, your athletes perform at their highest, best possibility. Well, that's that's really exciting. It's it's kind of right up my alley. That's the, the right. stuff that I write about. That's the stuff I like to talk about. Who did you have? Who did you sit with for this episode? Well, funny you should mention that. So I was struggling to find the right person. And uh, you mentioned Brian McGee at McClyman's High School in West Oakland. And I called up Brian and he was amazing. And people are going to hear from him. But I want to know from you, like, why did he come to mind for you? So so there's Brian and I are actually new friends. Um but we have a lot of people in common. So he's from West Oakland. I'm from East Oakland. He's a few years older than I am. But, you know, I went to Berkeley just as Brian mm. went to Berkeley. He was a big time football player. Um, I was a DJ. And so I was a little bit out in that social scene. Um, but because we both come from Oakland, there are some we have these people in common. Um, and then, you know, through the University of California, Berkeley, their social work program, Brian and I connected. And that's mm. because, you know, here at the Institute, we're very interested in mental health and trying to have an impact. And Brian is one of these folks in the community who's really about uh, this trauma-informed care because he knows the history of Oakland and knows what yeah. our kids go through. And so, you know, there's there's similarities. He's a football coach. I've been a basketball coach. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the people that, that we encounter, those who are coming from generally the poorest areas of the city, you know, they're the same people, whether it's in Oakland, I was doing it in Southern California and also in Philadelphia. So uh, shall we get to it? Shall we hear from Brian? Yeah, let's let's hear from Brian, Coach McGee. Eleven years ago, I walked into a gym in Boston to do a story for NPR about the Doc Wayne Sports League. And I watched as a bunch of supremely unathletic teenage girls played some really terrible basketball. Now, I don't want to be a total cliche and tell you that day changed my life, but it definitely changed the way I look at a lot of things, like trauma, crime, addiction, and sports. 80% of the players on the court that day were survivors of physical or sexual abuse. Many were serving sentences handed down by the juvenile justice system, all were in residential treatment programs. Psychologist Wendy DeAndrea told me that when these teams first started playing, the games were a little depressing. The girls didn't know how to regulate their emotions, and the slightest jostle on the court could escalate into a fight. After like two or three games like that, 
It was like we brought in a whole new group of kids. It was like there were kids we'd never seen before. Um, they would knock into they would knock into each other, and you know, one girl would say like, "Oh my bad, sorry, don't know what to do with my feet," or someone else on the other team would be crying, and the other team would do a cheer for her. Like it was it was just incredibly sweet. That story taught me a lot about trauma-informed coaching and the power of sports to help young people heal. But I have to admit, I never even considered the possibility that this approach might also be really good at improving a team's performance. That is, until I talked to Brian McGee about McClymans. McClymans High School is a historic landmark here in Oakland, California, approximately 97 to 98% African-American. And McClyman's High School is really known as a, a school of champions. The list of McClyman's famous alumni is really long. Basketball Hall of Famer Bill Russell, baseball Hall of Famer Frank Robinson, track and field star Jim Hines. The first black mayor of Oakland went to McClyman's, as did rapper MC Hammer. Even my nephew, Vinnie McGee Jr., probably no one knows of him, but he, he's going to be up and coming. He played basketball in, in 2006 went on to play at Cal State Northridge in Southern California. He's currently working for USF as a basketball coach. So that's just a few of the great people that's come through the hallways and doorways of McClymouth High School in the community. And can I call it Mac or is that just way too familiar? Uh, you can call it Mac. You get a pass today. You can call it Mac. For those <laughs> other folks, it's McClymouth. <laughs> yeah. So I found a local TV report from 2017, and here's how they describe the school. McClyman's a small, a small underfunded, underfunded high school in underserved West Oakland boasts three straight state champion football teams. Having Does that seem like an accurate description, or are they missing some things? Yeah, they're, they're missing one more state championship. <laughs> <laughs> we, we went to five state championships and only lost one. Brian McGee grew up here in West Oakland, but things were different back then. Folks knew each other. It was a community that really knew and cared for each other. You had the general stores where families could get credit at these stores. I remember as a kid going to the corner store, Mr. Johnson, he had donuts on the counter. And my mother would give me a little note and says, hey, go get a dozen of donuts for Mr. Johnson. You know, those are how community really was. Brian developed lasting friendships with other kids in the neighborhood. One in particular was named Michael Peters. He lived right behind the football stadium on Chestnut Street. And I lived a couple blocks away on 27th Street. And so, you know, we really connected at the Park and Ricks program, which was called Poplar Park, and we, which we call was Dogtown in West Oakland. That's where we started. You know, I was a third grader, he was in second grade, and we began playing there, flag football. Brian says when they weren't playing sports, they were talking about sports. We had smiles on our face. We had a chance to be kids, and we looked out for each other, you know? The Peters would look out for the McGees, and the McGees would look out for the Johnsons and the Jacksons, because they lived, you know, in the community. Brian had always known that he would attend McClyman's High School, and he knew he'd play sports once he got there. I'm the youngest of seven siblings, so it was all mapped out. You know, my, my older brothers, and once they got here, you know, they played sports. I would come to their practice and look through the fence 
as a kid, I would ride my bicycle up to the high school and I would look through the gate and say, that's my brother's right there. Man, I can't wait to get there, you know, and going to the games. And, and so when I had the opportunity to arrive at McClymouth as a freshman in the fall of 1981, you know, I really wanted to be a part of that orange and black, put on that uniform and compete to the highest level. Brian was named the varsity starting quarterback as a freshman, and he still remembers what it was like to step onto the McClyman's football field for the first time. Wow. It's like going in your mother's kitchen. There's an apple pie on the table, and I love apple pie, and I just wanted to get a slice of it. It felt great putting on the uniform and strapping it on. And, you know, we have had a boom box in the, in the locker room. You know, the seniors would play some old... Boogie Nights, Funkadelic, George Clinton, Michael Jackson. And then there was a lot of um, rap was just coming into play, you know, uh, Rapper's Delight, you know, from East Coast. It was just like that. You had that theme song as you prep for it, you know, for practice. Brian's sophomore year, a familiar face joined the team. Michael Peters, he was number seven, and he was about a buck 20 pounds. He was my wide receiver, so I would throw the ball to Michael Peters, and he would catch that ball. That guy was a solid dude. So this is the 80s, so I am picturing, like, a lot of really tough drills, a lot of yelling, a lot of pressure, not a lot of caring about the feelings of the players. Am I right? You are correct. (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) Back then, it, it felt like you was in the military. There was uh, a lot of derogatory words, get your butt here and get this and blah, blah, blah. You know, it wasn't like you said, it wasn't about your feelings, how are you feeling today? Uh, do you want to go to therapy or about how you missed so many passes or, you know, you twist your ankle and you hobble to the sideline instead of getting back in the huddle? You know, it had to be a severe injury that you couldn't walk, you know, the coach suck it up, you know, you be a man and don't quit. There's no quitters here. But back then, you know, um, it was a norm. Brian had beaten out a junior and a senior for the starting quarterback spot. And I'd love to tell you that his team was successful right off the bat. But that wasn't the case. My freshman and sophomore year, I was 0-20. I didn't win any games as a freshman or sophomore. <laughs> that is really the truth. That's funny. That's I, I can laugh about it now. But we were really the bottom of the totem pole, you know, but we had guys who showed up still. We didn't give up. But junior year, things started to change. We got a first victory, got a first win, and it got some attention from newspapers. McClive was getting that first win in three years. And it was awesome. And we ended up going 4-0 in preseason. We exploded to a great season, 6-3-1. And, and that was respectable in the middle of the pack. I went all-league, best quarterback in that league, and that's where things started to pick up. I'm like, man, this is, this is real. But as Brian and his friend Michael were having success on the football field, all around them, Oakland was changing. These cops have what some call an impossible job to clean up Oakland's streets of crack dealers. You know, you had crack cocaine that was impacting families. It was in the community. You can see it, you know. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of illegal activity going on. 
And sports was the only thing that really was positive happening. You know, everyone would come to games, you know, they'd take a break out of the drug deals or whatever, you know, or that's what's happening. Say, I got to go up to McClime and see this, this quarterback. Everybody talking about this guy. Brian says he was protected, kept away from all the bad things happening in Oakland, the drugs, the gangs, because of football. When I look back at it and I'm like, I could have easily got caught up in that life. People really saw something in me. They say, hey, this guy, he got he had a chance, meaning a chance to go to the next level, go to college, you know, and play. And he did. Joe Cap came to my house and recruited me. The legend Joe Cap, who played at Cal in, nine, in 1959, that's the last time they've been to a Rose Bowl. Joe Cap came to my house and said, hey, you got a chance to come to, to Berkeley. I'm like, man, where do I sign, you know? Brian admits he wasn't really focused on academics when he accepted Cal's offer. He was just excited by the idea of playing football in front of all those people. By the time he enrolled, he was ready to take advantage of everything that came with attending a school that's sometimes considered as prestigious as the Ivy Leagues. I mean, I went in and said, hey, I'm going to be a business major. I'm going to start my own business and all that. And of course, you know, I took a couple of courses like this is kind of dry. It's not really who I am, you know. Um, and I said, I like helping people, you know, and social work, it allows me to help people in a way that empowers them. You can see them smile. You can see them getting resources. You can see that their life is changing. It was a major that fit me. So Brian got a bachelor's and later a master's in social work. And a couple of decades after he left, Brian found himself back at McClyman's, working as a social worker for the Oakland Unified School District. Part of my job was coaching, and part of my job was that little social worker mindset, you know. It's like always wearing a hat. And that's where Brian met up with his old wide receiver from his Mac football days, now weighing in at a touch over a buck twenty. We got to get y'all back in shape. Y'all out of shape. Michael Peters wears his name on the back of his sweatshirt. But after almost three decades around the Mac football team, Coach Peters needs zero introduction. Okay, I'm just going to admit that I had every intention of interviewing McClyman's head coach, Michael Peters. There's no doubt he's largely responsible for the success of this team. But fall is a very busy time of year for high school football coaches. And besides, Brian says... He don't really like interviews. I can be honest. You know, he's, he's a humble guy. But getting back to our story... When Brian returned to McClyman's, he found himself paired up with his old buddy, Michael Peters, along with a bunch of other alumni who've all come back to help the new generation of Mac football. And while the faces on the sidelines were familiar, so were some of the things happening in the neighborhood around the high school. Shots were fired just before noon on the street near McClyman's high school that forced the school into lockdown. Boom, 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 boom. And... I like duck because it sounds so close because you don't know a bullet could come into your house. It really highlights the fact that there are far too many people in our community with guns and willing to use guns in broad daylight. Um, and so it's just... You really are in an urban setting. There have been yeah. shootings near the school, drug busts, some pretty tough stuff. Yeah. Am I right to assume that some of your students are dealing with some real trauma? Yeah. And that's that's not a fair thing for our kids. You know, it's like... Once they enter the, the school itself, there's a comfort zone. 
But the reality is there's things that are happening in our urban setting, you know, that really impacts them on a day-to-day basis, on a walk to school and on a walk from school. They've seen a lot at a very young age, a lot of trauma that impacts them academically, socially, you know, emotionally. As a social worker, Brian knows the effect trauma has on young people. And he knows that trauma isn't just about the big incidents, the ones that make the nightly news. Studies have shown that childhood trauma, like growing up in a dangerous neighborhood, or living in poverty, or feeling marginalized because of race, all of these things can change the biology of the brain. Trauma can push kids into a state of hypervigilance. And as they grow up, all that stress, it can have physical effects, like an increased risk of diabetes and hypertension. It can lead to alcoholism, drug abuse, depression. Brian knows the statistics all too well. Black boys, data shows that they don't graduate from high school, they end up dead on someone's street, or they end up in prison. So for Brian and the rest of the staff at McClyman's, football practice isn't just about preparing for the next game. When they come see us, as, as after their full day, you know, going to different classrooms and different events that may happen in the hallway or something that happened over the weekend. And then when they come to us, some of our kids haven't eaten. Okay, so step number one, make sure the players have something to eat. Brian always has some emergency supplies in his Jeep. Maybe some nuts or maybe peanut butter. It might be some crackers or some uh, granola bars, things like that that they can just grab a hold of and some fruit. Step number two is a bit more complicated. Hey, how can I help? What's going on? How was your day today? That gives me a, a gauge on how I'm going to approach this kid. Because I'm, t- I'm always taking temperatures all the time. Not physical body temperature, but you know what I mean, mentally and socially. Like, I can read body language. It tells a lot. It speaks to me. You can tell when the kid's head is down, walking a certain way. And I tap him on his pad and say, hey, buddy, how you doing, man? What's going on? If you want to talk, I'm here. Give me what you can today. Give me what you can and then whatever's going on, we, we're, we're, we're tapping after practice, you know? Give me what you got today. And the feeling that joining the football team is like joining the military, that suck it up, be a man, don't quit attitude. At McClyman's, those days are gone. You know what? I think I, our coaches today are a little bit more patient. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the keys. And I see a lot of coaches have a conversation with players after a play when they're waiting to go in and get their reps, there's there's a lot of conversation, encouragement. You know, there's a lot of things that our kids go through that they need us to support them and listen to them. I get the feeling that the coaches at McClyman's treat their players this way because they really care about them, not just as athletes, but as human beings. And maybe it's a coincidence that this shift just so happens to coincide with a historic string of successes for Mac football. But let's face it, I don't really believe in coincidences. For most of us in the media, the first hint that something special was going on at McClyman's was during the first round of the 2015 NFL Draft. Was there anyone in West Oakland who wasn't watching the 2015 NFL draft? Oh, 
No. <laughs> Everyone was watching the 2015 NFL draft. The Kansas City Chiefs select Marcus Peters, defensive back. Yep, that would be Marcus Peters, McClyman's alum and son of head football coach Michael Peters. It was huge. It was huge in our community. To have an alum from McClyman's today in the NFL, it means a lot to our kids because it gives them a sense of hope, an opportunity, because they know someone that looked like them, walk the same hallways as them, wear the same uniforms and helmet for every young man to know that, hey, they strapped it on just the way Mar- Marcus Peters strapped it on. And then came the start of the 2016 season. You know what, there were high hopes because we had great players that bought into the system, really bought into practice, bought into the commitment of learning and competing. No Oakland Public High School had ever won the state championship. And McClyman's, a tiny school with just 363 students, looked poised to break that streak. It was big news because the closer the closer we got to it, week in and week out, we were dominating, we were doing well. And play, people were recognizing, hey, this is a pretty good team down here in West Oak with very few students enrolled. But they got something special about this program. What is it? There was jubilation in downtown Oakland today and a parade for the Warriors. Yeah, not the the team won their first Warriors. state championship yeah. in December of 2016. Feel like you're an inspiration to the city? Yeah, of course. You get the following year, day. they won again. It's the unbridled joy of the McClyman's High School Warriors just minutes And they after did it again in 2018. The City Hall ceremony has become an annual tradition for this school, a small school in West Oakland. McClyman's only has about 300 students, but they have... And as the team's winning ways extended into the 2019 season, the media just couldn't get enough of the little school that could. Clyman's high school football team gearing up for a David versus Goliath battle. Right well, Mac often wins the battle on the scoreboard. They rarely ever win the battle of the coffers. How shoestring of an operation do you have? Uh, do we have shoestrings? <laughs> People were like, what's that little school down there, man? What are they doing down there, McClyman's? What's in the water? What are they eating? What are they feeding these kids? It's the fact that we spend time with them. We love them. We love all these kids. Isaiah Smiley is one of those kids. He used to attend a small charter school in East Oakland. But after his freshman year, he realized he needed a change. So I started looking to schools that like had a football team, but also had an engineering program because that's what I wanted to do in the school. I was at actually didn't have any pathways. So I looked into uh, Oakland Tech because I know they had the number one, but their football team was the best at the moment. Uh, even though my mom went to Oakland Tech and she was a bulldog, she really wanted me to be a good bulldog. But I, and I was considering highly just because of the educational aspect. But then people started telling Isaiah about McClyman's. It also had a very good engineering program, and it had Mac football. Everybody refers to it as Mac. Um, I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I decided to check out uh, one of their games. And they were really good. They were blowing teams out the water. Isaiah started talking to the coaches, finding out what it would take to transfer. And I want to be very clear here. The fact that a McClyman's alum, the son of the head football coach, was playing in the NFL, 
that didn't have any bearing on Isaiah's decision. The funny thing is, I didn't even know who, Mar- who Marcus Peters was. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was, honestly. <laughs> um, I didn't actually find out who he was until my junior year. <laughs> I didn't even know that there was like an NFL player that came. I didn't even know it was my coach's son. Uh, I actually met him, and I still didn't know he was an NFL player. Um, and I was like, oh, that's that's Marcus Peters. That's the NFL player for the Ravens. And I was just like, huh? Like, I didn't even know. He was like, yeah, that's Coach Poo's son. I was just like, wow, I didn't even know that. So it was kind of funny. It was like a <laughs> realization moment. It took so long. It took over a year to figure that out. I was just like, wow. Yeah. I told Isaiah what Brian McGee had said about Mac football in the 80s. The feeling like you were in the military, the coaches that yelled at the players to suck it up and be a man. Isaiah says it's not like that anymore. Well, mostly. Coaches will always yell. <laughs> coaches will always coaches will always yell, but I feel like our coaches really focus the emphasis on like, you know, building us up as young men. Isaiah says his coaches spent time with him, not just during practice or in the weight room. They took our team to paintballing. Uh, we went out to eat. Like he actually like cares about us as beings by like hanging out with us off the field. And one of the like things that they did was take us to a prison, like for because they like show okay here's my son he's in the NFL he's doing all these great things he showed they introduced us to different people that's doing good in certain academic fields and you know real estate and things like that we had different workshops. But then he took us to a prison to talk to some people that went down the wrong path, made mistakes based off emotional anger or sadness or things like that. And now these mistakes that they made led them to where they are now. I had an older brother that was going down the wrong path. I had a father that was in there before I was born. So it was just like, it was good to like actually communicate with these people and learn from them. On the way back from the prison, Coach Peters talked to his players about what they had learned. Isaiah says he always does that. Make sure they're present mentally, not just physically. Make sure they're learning, studying, preparing for college, for life. Isaiah says all the coaches at Mac were like that. I noticed, especially after COVID, like they're making sure that they're reaching out to us and asking us like, how are we feeling? Are we okay? Especially like in the hallways. And like simple things like that just makes makes it that much better because you have people to talk to. Like you know that they actually care about you. They actually, they want to know like if you're good because they know if not, then they can support you in that way. So I definitely think they care more about us as humans and like supporting us, especially like the world we grew up in now. Because I grew up without a father figure in my life. So just having like people like Coach Peters, um, Mr. McGee coming out, looking after me, and like that was good to have those people come in and step in and actually, you know, build that connection with me. McClymans lost the state championship game in 2019, their first loss after three straight wins. The 2020 state championship was canceled due to COVID. But in 2021, McClymans got another chance at a state title. And they took advantage of it. It was a blowout. It was like 54 to 6 or something like the 7. It was bad. Yeah. Even though the game itself wasn't much of a challenge, Isaiah says the moment meant a lot. It hit a lot of us hard, you know, because we've been, especially like with COVID and all that, like we've been basically in off-season tr- training for like a long time. And just seeing that work pay off, and it's our senior year, like we just, all of us see, all of our seniors just emotional, honestly. Isaiah Smiley isn't playing football this fall. 
Instead, he's studying mechanical engineering on academic scholarship at USC. His football career is over, but he's so glad he transferred to McClyman's. Just having a community there for me throughout my high school years, um, especially in like one of the worst times in history, like a pandemic happened and we still had each other. We always highlight Mac family because our community, we all look out for each other. Um, and if you're a Mac alum, you know, we'll look out for you because that's where we came from. We know it's a family. Seven players from Isaiah's class signed national letters of intent to play football in college, three at Division I schools. Not bad for a tiny school in West Oakland. What makes you prouder? Uh, McClyman's four state championships since 2016, or the fact that you sent seven of your football players off to college last year? Whoa. I got to say, it got to be about the college. These guys are going to post-secondary education and they're getting their college paid for. That's the part. That's what I'm excited about. Next week, we're going to take a closer look. What exactly is trauma-informed coaching? How do you build a competitive program around it? And can it actually make your team perform better? We'll speak with Megan Bartlett, founder of the Center for Healing and Justice Through Sport, Ethan Barron, head track and field coach at Williams College, and world-renowned childhood trauma expert, Dr. Bruce Perry. This episode was produced by Karen Given. Be sure to subscribe to the Global Sport Matters podcast wherever you listen. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our digital communications specialist is Brendan Clean. Our manager of strategic initiatives is me, Kendall Jones. And our marketing and event assistants are Luke Padway and Aiden Corrales. Find and follow us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS.